Hunter? Oh, me? Do you want to? Oh, you said uh, you oh you. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, welcome. What was that one? How did that one start? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> I was going to like go to it for it, and then I, and then I awkward it out. Uh, yeah, okay. Did you uh, get scared? Yeah, I, got, I, I get scared a lot. You know, I'm, I'm, a, sca- I'm a scared Do you need me to little bunny. Uh, welcome to the... Movie Overload Podcast. Wait, my, my audio knobs are being adjusted. It could be one Welcome to the Movie Overload Podcast, where we talk about movies so many that we overload your brain. <gasps> And we explode with the movie overload. Whoa. That's why it must be called that. Yes. A light emitting diode. We blink. As we. Okay. uh, I can't think of another word that rhymes with overload. Uh, The only one I can think of is probably not appropriate. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. I've watched Moving on through the introduction. Movie. Boom. We have like a list of a hundred movies yep. that we're working through at the moment. Mm. Uh, from yes, a trip do. to the moon to Parasite. Uh, and a hundred movies is, I I would qualify, not quite enough for an overload. I think oh, most, absolutely yeah, not. most yeah, no, systems, except for ours, uh, who have a, I guess a low tolerance is the implication here, could handle more than a hundred movies. But, that is uh, true. Yikes. Way to... Yeah, we're trying Call to like work up our tolerance. I think. Yeah. I think that's anyway, the main point of this. Uh, this well, week, I think I'm failing because this is the second movie in a row that I've had to watch in 30 minute chunks because I didn't have time to watch mm, the whole thing. That's rough. See, but like some of the other movies would work to watch in 30 minute chunks, and I don't feel like, like this movie Jean would work as well. Jean yeah. Dumont. Hey guys, what is uh, this yeah, movie that, one, that you speak of? Uh, yeah, I feel like what's the movie? Because people definitely don't already know because they, uh, I mean, you know, started they, it might have auto played for sure. You know, might have. I've had that happen to me. It, okay, it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Woo-hoo. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. I don't know what it means. Only one. I don't Two understand the flew over the of, shoe of the title. Uh, and <gasps> uh, and three flew over me. Yay! Yay! That works. Okay, so. Um, Let's get our any preliminary thoughts out of the way before uh, banter commences. Um, I have a preliminary movie, thought. Movie yes. It's just important context for understanding this film. Yes. Which okay. is based on a book which nobody else has read. So, ha, gold star for me. I've read the book. Uh, I read it in high school. Uh-huh. And this is actually really important context that I should have told you guys before you watched it because I realized the movie doesn't make as much sense when you don't know and the really important thing is i sent an article to y'all that we can make maybe put in the description about the saliva falls i might be pronouncing that wrong so if you know Uh, the pronunciation let me know um on the columbia river and so we learned about this in my english class kudos to mrs pressler for being awesome because she knew the history of the columbia river peoples and the way that same song second verse the american government kind of tricked them out of their fishing rights to this waterfall on the columbia river so when they built the dalles dam in 1957 which i've actually i've driven past it hundreds Mm. of times like that I drive past that all the time. Um, they flooded the waterfall. So the entire population of people that had lived off the salmon that flowed up the Columbia River and it was a trading post, that all died out. It's kind of heartbreaking to say that mm-hmm. you all know the story, but you all know the story. So all these people were displaced. They didn't have anywhere to go and the government didn't really tell them all the way like they had the opportunity to sell their land, but not the fishing rights. And so they weren't recompensed the way that they should have been. Anyway, it's a whole story. And it's important to know that because it's really foundational to the arc of chief Bromden Mm -hmm. and his whole story as somebody who I read a, a journal article about how, so the dam was built in 1957 and 
based on the age and the time place time period of this movie, Chief Brondon was probably a child in the 20s or 30s. So he mm. would have grown up with mm. the falls roaring. And according to all accounts, it was a super loud waterfall and just kind of you could hear it for miles. It was really loud and part of part of the the culture. And actually, um, people say the spirit of the YM, the echo of falling water, still lives in the soul of the Columbia River people, which I think is kind of a beautiful thought. So part of what's important to know, I guess, is that, and you see this a lot better in the book, that much of Chief Brondon's, I guess, psychological trauma comes from the sound of the waterfall being destroyed by uh construction capitalism Mm. consumerism that whole system and so i'll just to make my comments brief the end where he rips up the water table controller thing spoilers Oh yeah! Uh, spoiler alert! <laughs> Breaking news. And it just like floods water, and it's super loud. Like yeah. that is very symbolic, and it's mm. even more so in the book of him throwing off the shackles of his psychological trauma about being. Uh, I can't think of the word, but I guess abused by the way that the government treated the whole situation and the loss of this part this piece of land that was so important to his people and his ancestors. Mm. Um, anyway, so that's just a piece of history that mm. we learned in my English class. And it's, it's more explicitly written about in the book that chief Bromden is a more important character. Anyway, I just wanted mm. to start that because I think it's really interesting to the arc of the story. And I guess I'm glad that the movie producers didn't take that out. I guess as part of the arc. Anyway, it does feel like I'm done with my monologue. It does feel like something that's probably a lot I do have a more hidden about that book. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Um, my my question was more just. I think that I read that Chief Bromden was a perspective character in the book. Is that the case? A perspective character. A character yeah, you yeah. see the per- perspective. Of? Oh yes. Mm. Like we see things from his perspective sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he is. Hmm. Especially that's, the end. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I feel like mm-hmm. the movie generally does not. Oh, it's it's like hardcore it, on Jack Nicholson. His face yeah. center screen, the whole <laughs> time. Yep. Yeah, until until the end. Which is, until I mean, the end. I, one thing I do find very interesting about that historical narrative is uh, I'm thinking back to the monologue that Chief Bromden gives uh about like sort of his trauma and his past and uh, i think he said something about like his father's alcoholism drying him Mm -hmm. up which uh, Mm i just seems kind of oh that's sort of paralleling like the like the way his father died and his community kind of died Mm -hmm. which is He's a really interesting character because, as I'm sure we'll get into here, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Next takes place at a mental hospital in... Which is a real place in Salem, Oregon. In, uh, in Salem, Oregon, apparently. Oregon, still, apparently. still operates, apparently. Interesting. Yes, but uh, not as a nightmare land. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, there are there's a, a cast of characters. We mostly follow uh, Jack Nicholson's character. I think his name's like Johnny or something. No. No. Mac. I, I've seen too much. Randall. I, 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 I think you've just seen The Shining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm just getting it mixed up. Uh, so, so Ra- Did Ra- I watch the wrong movie? Randall. Oh no! <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, it also has the caretaker from The Shining in it as uh, one of the yeah. night order leads during the Christmas party. Get me and Crumbs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you got you got him in it, and yeah. So this is it's a really nice ensemble cast, a bunch mm-hmm. of really big performances. Uh, and a bunch of interesting questions about, well, so this is a movie made like 50 years ago at this point, yep. like almost. Because, and yeah. yikes. <laughs> and it is about issues of uh, mental health, which is mm-hmm. historically uh, an area which 
I, I mean, it's it's not it doesn't tend to be portrayed in the best light in films. We talked about this a bit in Texas Chainsaw, but like especially in like horror films and a lot of films that really exploit the uh, net sort of fear that the mm-hmm. general public has of anyone who is any anywhere like different uh, functioning differently mentally. They they just. Uh, yeah no space for that it well, it's it's hard to talk about even now because we don't talk about it that much there isn't that much uh visibility for like people who have who are on like the autism spectrum or mm-hmm. who have various different like even fairly common like um mental problems that they struggle with like depression or mm-hmm stuff like that like it's it's gotten a lot better over time and i think we've gotten better about talking about it but it's one of those areas that i think most people still try and like keep out of their mind because it's it's kind of tough and you have to confront a lot of your own prejudices going in mm-hmm. but i i have i was very curious watching through a lot of this uh about so, what exactly is the point of a mental hospital <laughs> in the 20th century sense? Because uh, it, it always they always go about trying to say they're trying to help people and make them better, but a lot of the time it just seems like it's just a way to get people out of sight and out of mind who you don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. I definitely think we're moving away from that mentality when we approach mental health and therapy in that intense setting. Also, I don't know if y'all can hear that, but that's a wood thrush. And I learned that it can harmonize with itself and sing two notes at a time. So cheers. Um, So mental hospitals, I think that, so being a psych major, I've talked about this or I've learned about this some, and I have a professor who spent, much of his career working at um, psych wards in hospitals, or he actually worked at a facility called the Rainier School that's very similar to what the Oregon State Mental Health Hospital, I can't remember what it's called, Mm. uh, should have been slash is now. Uh, So not the kind of villainized place that it it actually was kind of a scary place. They really did Mm experiment with ECT and lobotomies and such things. Um, But not at the Rainier School where my professor worked. Anyway, I'm tangentating. All I'm trying to say is that I think the mindset of people who are doctors and therapists in settings like that are more approaching it from the mindset that this is either helping protect the patient from themselves. So if they are schizophrenic and not able to control their own bodies, uh, which can happen with schizophrenia, then they might be in a psych ward where they can be Mm. assisted or like, I think Billy was in there because he attempted suicide and was suicidal. Um, Mm. And so obviously there's a lot to unpack with Billy's character and the way that nurse ratchet triggers his trauma to keep him there Uh, but I think nowadays more people, people are more thinking about mental hospitals as a place for recovery so that you can be soon released better. Uh, and I think that's the mindset that most people have in a modern, not as much sweeping you under the blanket. I, I think that that is where it's kind of moved towards a lot more because I, I know people who have been into like mental hospitals before and mm-hmm. like have come out and have been doing better and and stuff like yeah. that it's like i i i get the sense that they're like trying better now especially since uh the in the 21st century mental hospitals are less of an experiment and more of an like actual institution yeah. well and it's the same place that you'd go for drug rehab it's exactly mm. the same therapy techniques and the same people are mm. staff in both places like it's the same degree, I guess, that gets you to both yeah. places. But going 
back to one of the points you raised there that I find interesting. So going into this movie, the one thing I knew was uh, Jack Nicholson's in it, and the kind of standout performance is like this uh, evil nurse who is at at the hospital or something, Nurse Ratchet. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't, uh, and so I, I came into the movie. I'm like, I guess that's the cultural legacy of it. It's set at a mental institution. There's an evil nurse. I watched the movie, and I. So. I have thoughts. <laughs> I don't. I, I think that Nurse, Nurse Ratchet is a fairly sympathetic character, and I think that's what makes her interesting. Because she's the type of person who does uh, bad things, not out of sadism, but out of a a weird uh, tension where, Mm. you know, you're trying to do the right thing, but what you think is actually helping someone isn't doing that. And it's kind of being counterproductive. And the legacy of the character is very much sadistic evil nurse because uh last night i was a bit curious because netflix released a prequel show about nurse ratchet uh in which she is a uh manipulative sadist who sort of like she she's a sort of sympathetic character but she's very much an anti-hero and she very much uh compels a lot more people into doing very bad things to harm themselves and also, uh, she's lesbian, which I, I, I'm mixed about. So I'm like, ooh, representation. But also, that's a kind of negative stereotype yeah. uh, to put, <laughs> they just, they put on a famous villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Qu- queer code all the villains. Mm. Yeah. Even, you know, she, she's an anti-hero. So I, I guess you, you pe- people, uh, you know, gay people sometimes like villainous characters. Yeah, because well, that's, they're that's all because they're always, yeah. So they see yeah. themselves. <laughs> it's a circle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will just say that from what I can remember, Nurse Ratchet is way worse in the book, and it's also much more explicit about the extent to which Chief Bromden and Mac were uh, experimented on with ECT. Mm. Uh, and so. In the film, I kind of agree with you that I didn't necessarily see her as a horrible person. And honestly, the only thing that she did that I was like, um, that's not super cool was at the end. And when she when sh- she tells Billy, like, what would your mother think about this? Mm. And that triggers him oh, yeah. and yeah. such things. That made me like really 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 upset mm. um but the rest of what she was doing i was like so she's definitely more concerned about having control than right. mental yeah that's kind of what i was actual help but into, yeah. but otherwise it didn't seem like she was she's just horrific. like the sort of personification of maybe the sort of institutional goals of not not necessarily even trying to help people like improve if possible or be happy and live well but yeah, just kind of keeping them docile and managed and controlled. Yeah. And she does a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, I was thinking through the whole thing about how, you know, there is a discourse in uh, a lot of communities at the moment about, so mental health is an issue because we all want to like have better mentor- mental states and like, enjoy life more and everything like that but who actually gets to classify what health is and in the 20th century especially the early half that there were things like uh homosexual attraction being classified as a mental illness or uh being trans being classified as a mental illness because the people who are defining what healthy was were excluding those definitions of healthy. It was much less mm-hmm. personalized and much more uh, institutionalized. What the institution was figuring out, how do we make all of these people more like uh, the ideal citizen 
who, American dream white suburbia citizen. Yes. And Oh, you want to live in a city? Oh, that's that's a mental illness. <laughs> you want to be a countryside farmer? Or get oh, help. You're a woman. You don't want to You have hysteria. Lawn. You know? <laughs> It's you mow your lawn horizontally instead of diagonally. <laughs> Get some medication. Yes. There's uh, some there's some really gross stuff that happened uh, through a lot of of bits. Uh, and so going into the movie itself, there is an ensemble of characters, uh, some of which are actual patients in the Oregon State Hospital, which I learned hmm. when I Whoa, did research. Really? Yeah, and the director at the time of the hospital is Dr. Spivy in the movie. He had his own little cameo appearance, and he was pretty closely involved with the production. Oh, mm. that's really interesting. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't it wasn't just, like, it was all filmed directly in there. There wasn't, like, yeah. some of it was sets. And- no, literally all of it was filmed there except for the scene when they go to Depot Bay. Mm. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. That's, so that's the general vibe of this movie is a lot more uh, cinema verite than a lot of the other things we've covered, just trying to capture naturalism. Uh, I was noticing that a lot with the shots and everything, it's much less showy and kind of pretty. Uh, it, it, it's not going for that as much. It's mm-hmm. I, I think it does a pretty good job of portraying naturalism in a way that at least uh, American audiences at the time would, well, and now would find, like, acceptable and engaging. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot of close shots shot with, like, telephoto lenses and a um, lot of uh, just shooting through and around objects to add, like, a more of a sense of disorder than like it it doesn't feel like everything was planned when you're watching it you're not thinking about the shots you're just thinking which about is kind of cool yeah it's uh it's really cool i i what well, it's it's not really my vibe i don't that's not my favorite type of cinema but i very much do appreciate and respect it and the question we have today is are the people in the mental hospital actually needing to be there? All of them? That's what I was going to talk about because I think so. I actually really appreciated the portrayal of their various mental health situations. Mm. And I I wrote this in my letterbox review, but under different circumstances, I would 100% hire Mac to be a staff therapist. That's because what I was thinking the whole movie. He's so good with all mm. of the guys and plays basketball with them and he's like ribbon on them but in a way that makes them feel included and like mm, one like, of the dudes like he kind of gets yeah like he gets exasperated some of them like he's like you know trying to play basketball and they're just like are not you know catching on or just kind of doing it with their quirks involved and he's like ah come on i'm trying to play yeah. ball ah. but it's like not it doesn't feel mean-spirited mm. no but yeah he's just good at treating them like human beings so. and yeah. the first time he escapes he takes them on a fishing <laughs> yeah, trip he doesn't right. like and he, escape escape he takes them on a fishing trip and he tells them like today you're not crazy you're fishermen and <laughs> i just really liked that and mm-hmm. so before we ended the first podcast and started the second podcast we were talking about portrayal of mental health and the way that we talk about mental institutions. And I feel like this is a generally positive portrayal of people with Mm -hmm. different Mm. mental disorders or whatever. And it's a second question to ask whether or not any of those guys actually needed to be there. But regardless of that, it wasn't a negative sociopathic or toxic portrayal, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah, Mm, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I I did do some reading on it in general because I, I was curious about like some different portrayals. I'm like, this doesn't read to me as mean spirited in a way. I think a lot of things from the era would, mm-hmm. but what what do what do people and professionals have to say? And I think a lot of what I was reading was, especially for the time, this stood out as being like very, you know, um, like sensitive and and 
you know, caring, et cetera, um, accurate portrayals instead of doing the like, they are all violent people to be afraid mm-hmm. of or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but I think a lot of people from what I was reading still feel like there's a touch of that in comparison to how it like would ideally be treated now. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Like there's a little bit of, a, you know, mm-hmm. making it into a film. Um, yeah obviously but 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 for for the most part at least it was very very influential in actually changing the way that mental health is depicted on screen mm. which is very cool um and then that's probably a little bit for later but i have seen a little bit of um i read that there's there's a little bit of controversy around the way that that chief bromden is portrayed which is unsurprising um, yeah uh, yes i am sure and well and that's the thing that kind of got me the most because uh it's revealed about like halfway through the film that most of the patients uh at the facility there are not are there by choice they aren't Mm -hmm. uh institutionalized i think is what the term was or something they that um like jack nicholson's character Mac, is it or something? Uh, Mac, yeah. Mac. His last uh, name is McMurphy, but yeah, they just call him Mac. Yeah, uh, he he uh, is is there because because he did some bad stuff. Yeah, he did um, some mo- actually pretty terrible things. Yeah, yeah uh, like a large number of cases of aggravated assault, uh, and also a statutory rape. Yes. Uh, but he couldn't resist. Yeah, so that, through the first part of the movie, the portrayal of women in this film is a uh, whole other conversation. Yeah, that we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's give that a sec. But we uh, don't have time to unpack all, all of that, that until uh, five minutes from now. But yep. uh, so Chief Romden is there, and everyone thinks that he is deaf and mute. And he isn't. He just hasn't chosen to talk. And he... I couldn't tell if... So he was... He wasn't, like, forced to be there, was he? I don't know if we get confirmation either way. Yeah, I... I couldn't remember. Because the... The big thing... uh, This... Though Mac is the main character, he... uh, Chief Bromden has the essentially the story defining arc yeah where uh you it's really the whole arc of the film and i think the main theme which is uh seeing these people as human and that's the big difference between what mac does uh how you were saying yeah he'd be like a great staff therapist and everything because he does just inherently see all of these people as human and he doesn't uh see them as like somewhat like alien creatures like uh nurse ratchet seems to where she's trying to keep them under control and treats them a bit like small children who need to be like disciplined and uh given strict time schedules and uh controlled completely Mm -hmm. and not given any sort of autonomy or agency in their own lives where most of these people are just here to like to actually get help and what they're getting instead of help, they're getting management. And it seems like it isn't really helping many of them. And through Mac coming in, a lot of them seem to at least get more joy out of life and uh, start like taking back control of their own lives in a lot of ways and not just repeating patterns endlessly. And so the big arc is Chief Bromden eventually smiling as- for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> the fi- final point there. He uh, breaks out. Uh, he does. I think. Yeah, he like so Jack Nicholson it has his brain completely fried at the end for uh, orchestrating a Christmas party. Christmas party slash escape revolution. Attempt. Yeah, uh, a-, a big thing, and then he comes back and. Uh, he's in a completely vegetative state, essentially. And so Chief essentially does like a mercy killing sort of thing where he yeah. is like, I 
I I know he wouldn't want to live in this state really because yeah. he, he kind of he lost his entire self. They'd killed him. It yeah. killed everything but the body. Yeah, and so yeah. they so. so he he breaks out and escapes to Canada like their plan was. Um hopefully. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. Well, yeah, it, he so goes over the like hill a, at the end. It's only like a it's, state away. Just, yeah. It's go just, over well, the hill. And state, and a half. <laughs> state and a half. State and a half. Yeah, uh, and and so like the the thing that Chief Bromden keeps repeating, uh, well he he says at least a couple times in it, is that like he doesn't have the strength that Jack Nicholson's character does. He and doesn't feel big. He doesn't. He doesn't feel big, even though he is a, a massive person physically. He has been completely like disempowered and disenfranchised by this whole system, and he doesn't have any hope. Uh, until he slowly like regains it and rebuilds it, uh, which is uh, honestly like this. This movie isn't perfect. Uh, we're about to talk about women, uh, <laughs> but uh, that the heart of this movie, I think, just just carries it through, and I think mm-hmm. will continue to carry it through. Like I don't think it will die, and the reason why I think it's become so culturally impactful, why when I look at like its placement by popularity in our list, it ranks so high and so many people have seen it, is because of that heart and that way that it, yeah. it, it connects to people. Yeah, and also because people study it in English class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you, you got to push the buttons there a bit. Yeah. Uh, you got to get I, them on the good stuff early. I do think that while there are many problematic things with this film and the, the book less so as far as I can remember, but I mean... Like women, obviously, but um, I think we was going to talk about the presentation of Chief, Br- Chief Bromden, mm. which I'm interested in hearing about. But I think that for its time, especially, it was not as problematic, maybe. Like, I, I mean, it's hard to judge things like that on that spectrum because, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's hard to just say, like, well, for its time, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm mostly just reiterating that the heart of this film, I think, is a really beautiful, sweet one that does want to empower mm-hmm. um, Native people and people with mental health disorders. And just, I don't know. I think that's cool. Even though it has its problems, mm-hmm. so do people. Yeah. I was yeah. definitely worried like early on that there were going to be weird <laughs> race things with having a, a native american character oh and especially like, the first time right. mac yeah and like there are him. kind of yeah <laughs> oh, some okay, some yeah. you know off-color jokes which are kind of feel sort of okay to be in there because they're in character but, but yeah. then you have the whole text that treats him with a lot of you know respect and there's actually something interesting going on there so yeah mm-hmm. it, was, it was a nice surprise mm-hmm. anyway yeah. carry on um yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I couldn't. I, I like scrolled through article after article and only really saw reference to controversy without any real explanation of it, which I think is mm-hmm. also kind of expected. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like specifically, like yeah controversies surrounding like native american representation are very little understood and very little discussed um and in it that in and of itself is that is a problem because a lot of people know that there are controversies and inappropriate ways that things are represented without knowing really exactly. ever yeah why knowing they're bad why uh-huh or how to make and, them better yeah and, and so there's not there's not a lot of growth um i guess i i tend to just already be suspect of pretty much any representation um on film because of um i can't remember where i heard that um but but uh, there is a, a like um and, and a discussion on um native american representation on film essentially and what i heard was like there are like two or three movies <laughs> that do it right. Huzzah. Um, and, and one of them is a Jim Jarmusch movie, um, yeah. dead man, which is 
really good anyway. But but they actually put a lot of effort and research in there. Um, and I know uh, Terrence Malick's a, a new the new world. I think um, like specifically like resurrected uh, a dead language and like also put well, in their cool. research. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, from what I've heard, other than that, um, not generally not great. Um, pretty much from from what I've heard, native peoples are not appreciative of of pretty much any representation on in yeah. film. It's mostly bad. So um, th- I'd like to just bring up there's an interesting documentary uh, about like indigenous people's representation in American film. And, and hmm. culture and everything uh, called uh, Real Engine. Uh, hmm. You can find it. it. It's like on Canopy and stuff like that. And it, it's, it's a very basic walkthrough of a lot of representation. But one thing that's pointed out in there that I find interesting is that a big problem with the representation being wrong is because uh, there aren't that many like indigenous people working on like the actual like power end of the industry. There aren't that many hmm. directing... And you get some actors, but for a long time, like some of the most famous actors for playing like Native American roles w- were like Italian dudes and stuff like that. You know, it, well, it, you get like Rob Schneider and like, oh, good. Yeah. yeah don't even. You, oh, my goodness. No. But there are some interesting examples. Um, there's uh, there. Uh, there are like a. A handful of uh, of good ones. Um, there are a couple. There's a recent director who's making like uh, genre fil- uh, films that are uh, kind of fun and interesting. Like uh, they did uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls and uh, Blood Quantum, I think, which is like a, a zombie movie. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's very interesting seeing that actually portrayed as as different because a lot of what winds up happening in the movies is just using the native American character as synecdoche for some sort of metaphor of resolving nature and like, Mm. you know, white people being obsessed with getting back to nature and seeing like, Oh yes, the uh, native American is the one who can be my conduit to that and kind of using them more as props than as people. Uh, and because like because there's so like literal representation I don't even like know exactly what the conflicts are but there are it's a really strained relationship I know between like a lot of the um, different like native populations here um, who have their own Places. I don't. Know, what? What are? Uh, I'm forgetting the name for the, the places that they have that are theirs and they can like self-govern, uh, and stuff. Reservations. Reservations. Yeah. Between like reservations now and the federal government and constant like conflict between just people who don't quite understand everything there. I, I don't know. It's it just. It's. It's really complex, and it's hard to get a grip on it just from popular culture because you don't even hear about it. You don't even hear the yeah. news stories about the conflicts that happen that often. Like you have to, it's just you really to hard to find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't know. This is a weird tangent, maybe, but but what I do like the bits that I have heard about. I don't know fixing representation and and you know attempting to heal that relationship is not american content um Mm. it tends to be either canadian or australian content um Mm. because (laughs) they've put seemingly more work into actually trying to repair indigenous heritage um yeah like like I don't know. There are lots of examples of that, I guess, that I, I could I could throw out. But um, cool. it, it does seem like in general, um, even though all of those places have done historically very, very terrible things, um, yeah, well, they I, have put more active cultural effort into 
trying to repair those relationships. Um, yes. And I, I just, I know that there is like currently, I don't know if it's still going on. It was very recent, a conflict between uh, the like indigenous people up in Canada and the Canadian government uh, trying to build an oil pipeline. Uh, this company built an oil pipeline through their land without their permission mm-hmm. and consent. And then when they tried to protest, uh, they were uh, besieged by a uh, military force. So, yeah, yeah you know, I think yeah. nobody's trying to say that anyone is perfect. I no, think we're just trying yeah. to say that some people have done well, different yeah, yeah. slash better things. Yeah, I'm, about not, representation. I'm not trying to say that the governments are doing a better job or or that it's like that oh everything's good in other places um i think i'm, I'm more just saying that like there's Maybe not the very art. much awareness or understanding here um and in like at the forefront of of the cultural moment and and other places is actually trying to actually deal with those issues because it feels like in general americans just completely ignore those issues or yeah oh, that was before we already messed everything up and we're done we're fixed now we're better it's not 1975 anymore mm-hmm. which is uh what american answer to literally every problem of systemic yeah injustice or cultural trauma yes mm-hmm. no we white people still have cultural trauma about the freaking civil war but no Black people should be over slavery by now. You know, it's just, yeah, it's a bit lopsided. Just take a look at your priorities. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about uh, female representation, right? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, boy. Yikes. I almost don't even want to touch it in this film because it's yeah. so icky that I'm uh-huh. kind of like, but the other portrayals were okay, so we don't even uh... need to talk about women. But also, it just, <laughs> like... From the first, like when he's talking about his uh, statutory rape incident, Mm -hmm. you're just kind of like, dang, that's disgusting that you even have the vocabulary to say what you just said about what she was doing and think that it's an okay excuse. Like the fact that that excuse even exists and is common, I'm just like, and then of course you have candy and bros, I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who are just the uh, the female characters in this movie are either uh heartless authority figures, I or North- sex objects. Or uh yeah, so like Candy and Rose, I believe are sex workers. It's it's kind of implied. I mean some... Yeah, probably it, it's somewhat implied in the film. Jack Nicholson does pay candy to sleep with a man at a point. Uh, I don't think he pays her though. I think he's doing a bet with Billy. I think he's oh, is betting that it? Billy. Okay. Yeah, I think he's mm-hmm. saying, Billy, I'll bet you $25. Yeah. I can't remember what he says. Okay. Yeah. So, And then he tells Candy to pretend that he's the one in there with her <laughs> yeah. and then shuts the door. Yeah, uh, it's... It's it's a bit off. They, I felt like they were coded as sex workers, but I may have completely Probably. misread or that. Or just, I mean, that yeah. seems to be how they're described in some stuff that I've seen online. So I think that that is on the mark. Uh, yay! Uh, isn't isn't this lovely? Is isn't uh, <laughs> if you turn Nurse Ratchet into a man, does she like change significantly? Well, I that may have been a pointless question. I'm not sure why I think that. I feel like if Nurse Ratchet would a man would a man would a was man. a man it would be a more violent movie and less a lot of what she does is subtle like when Mac is asking to turn down the music and she's like there's a lots of other people mm. on this ward that really like mm. this music yeah. and just kind of deferring to the system and I think that if she was a man, it would be a lot more violent. Well, stereotypically speaking... But that's speaking, just stereotypes. I, right. I, I think you could have that movie, but I could also see a version of this movie with like a male overtaker who acts in the exact same ways. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, 
I may be reading into it a bit, but I got kind of a gross feeling from just the type of threat Nurse Ratchet is supposed to pose. It feels like it's sort of, especially with how uh, hyper-masculine Mac is kind of coded to act and everything, like a female voice quelling uh, male passion as a, as a mm-hmm. sort of trope. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's why I, I'm a bit wary of like just how much culturally she's taken on the role of this uh, sadistic villain when in right. the film itself she she's just she doesn't really take on that role at all until maybe that final confrontation she's just this but i don't even think that that's from sadistic oh yeah no it's Mm -hmm. uh it's it's not it although it is it's a bit less like it uh it you you don't have quite as much plausible deniability in your mind if you're making that thing and you're like uh should shouldn't you feel ashamed for doing what you just did i'm going to tell your mother I'm going yeah. to tell your mother. You know, it's, uh, it, it's that sort of thing. You, you I, in that moment, she's more openly like villainous. Uh, well, it's but, it's the dichotomy between the sexless women. You have Nurse Ratched and whatever her assistant's name is. We never know. She yeah. only ever says two things in the entire movie. Uh, she, and she both has a of name those women credits. are very. Mm sexless i guess and then you have candy and rose who are the opposite and it's i think it is very much you have the strict overbearing women who are pushing down men's sexuality and look at how good billy was after he had his night with candy and he was better and he felt Mm. empowered and then the woman put him down and Mm there's a lot more to unpack in that narrative, especially about Billy's character. And it's not just nurse Rashid and it's not just his night with Rose that empowered him. But I do think that's a not so subtle subtext in the four women characters. Yeah. Female characters, which is yeah, very explicitly big reason why I I'm very, uh, a bit shaky on them making nurse ratchet explicitly a queer woman in the prequel show because you're for one thing the show is in any and every way i can tell i didn't watch the whole thing because it's like eight hours uh completely disconnected from one flew over the cuckoo's nest and Mm -hmm. so essentially you're taking uh a sexless woman from an old movie who is seen as uh dangerous to the male characters and falling back in kind of into the trope of that's how lesbians were quote uh, coded like villainously since cinema started like the villainous the stereotypical villainous lesbian character is that way and i I think you can kind of reclaim it up up to a point I i don't know i'm not a lesbian i think they should make that choice uh but also, it does feel a bit skeevy to 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 draw that comparison specifically because that's yeah. like the negative stereotypes of lesbians for ages in Hollywood, and then they're like, "Oh, here's this character who has those traits but isn't lesbian." I'm like, Ooh, "What if we made a fanfic where she was?" <laughs> yeah, it's it's just overall oofy, but it's almost so explicitly sorry my ankles keep popping i'm sorry to all of our listeners um (laughs) it's so oofy and so obvious there are some things that are less obvious and i mean if you've listened you've heard our conversation about eight and a half where it's almost less obvious until suddenly it's disgusting and there's a lot of films that we have watched and maybe not in this podcast where it's less obvious and to some extent worse and i think this almost makes me less angry and less uncomfortable because it's so obvious to me 
that it's almost easier to say if I was to show this movie to someone or if I was going to mm-hmm. be watching it in, I don't know, like a psych class or something, it would be easier to say, look at those obviously stereotypical tropes that are really toxic to both men and women and these different, like, ever, like, it's just all toxic and it's so obvious to see, isn't that not great? Glad we all agree, mm-hmm. rather than this is really subtle, but it really was offensive to me. And then people are like, you're just being oversensitive. And that's a whole different conversation, but I feel like I was less wounded or appalled because it was so obvious. And it's so obvious to point Mm -hmm. to it and say, don't do that. Or don't, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like if I was to be having a conversation about this movie, I would be less concerned about people taking Mm -hmm. the wrong idea from the portrayal of women. Like I'm less concerned about someone that I'm talking to saying to my face, Oh yeah. And strict women are dangerous because they made Mac so violent. Like Mm. I'm not worried about that because it just feels, I mean, maybe it's just that to me, I'm like, well, of course not. This is so obviously stupid, but maybe I'm just talking to the wrong kind of men. I I think you're, you're, you you're saying a thing that makes sense. Uh, though, Thank you. Uh, because we've mentioned this before, and we will again. Uh, you reach something uh, like you know you have the paradox of satire, where if something is too uh, subtextual, you re- reach a very real risk of people missing the subtext and just reading the text. As a yeah. positive thing, yeah, uh, we're gonna get to Fight Club someday. You know, it's coming. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, like I, I guess at the time, I don't know what the 1970s were like, but from movies, it was not great for women. Uh, it was. I don't know. I guess just talking to my dad, it's the beginning of a time where women were allowed to work. Not mm. not allowed, but it was more acceptable for women mm. to have a job. And so I, I it's women were allowed to have to... bank accounts for the first time in seventy three. I think mm. what? Yeah. Okay, because my dad was born in seventy three and my mom was born in seventy four, mm. and it's kind of interesting to hear them talk because my mom was in circles where not a lot of her friends' moms worked, but it wouldn't have been necessarily surprising if they had. But my dad's mom did have a job and a career and she worked in a computer company as their software engineer. It was really cool. And so all of my dad's friends, moms worked. And so it's, I don't know, I guess that's just a side comment about, I guess maybe the historical point in women having more feet in the business world, even though it was only beginning and wasn't perfect, I guess. I mean, it makes, That's I it makes sense uh, to, I'm not a history major or really a buff, so I'm only speaking here from movies, uh, <laughs> but there's, I, I just remember a lot of movies around that time about, like, men being very resentful of women and, like, cool. being misogynistic and not, and not, you know, casual misogyny just everywhere. Which you know, like just guys being dudes. You know, they were doing it before, but a lot of the time that sort of vitriol comes out as a response to a minority group actually like gaining a, a slight getting slightly more close to equality with mm-hmm. the dominant group. And so you get that thing where to the unimpressed, equality feels like oppression. Yeah, because they now have less power than they did, and it feels like they are being the ones who are being help. I'm being oppressed. Is everyone seeing this? <laughs> exactly. That's that sort of thing. Uh, oh wait, can I tell a side story? Sure. So you know how we were talking about in Monty Python how it's so overquoted and it's almost unfunny now because everyone quotes it. Uh-huh. So I'm here with my my well my mom's aunt, but my aunt Cindy. And we were walking through the garden and there was another lady who lives on this property there. And so we said, hi, and kept walking. And when we got a little bit further, my Aunt Cindy goes, have you seen Monty Python? And I said, yes. And she said, you know that part where they say, she's a witch and she's actually a witch. And I was like, yes. And she goes, 
yeah, well, that lady's actually a witch, like <laughs> member of the Wiccan. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? Why are we having this? Like, it was just such a bizarre conversation. Yeah, Four-dimensional like, chess. What a weird, a weird way to, way to lead in. That. Yeah, I know. Awesome. And I was like, Aiden is right. Monty Python is too far into the American psyche. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> uh, That's so how you introduce the fact that someone is a member of the Wiccan community to someone. You yeah. uh, quote Monty Python. Like, have you ever your... seen Monty Python? Uh, and it was funny because I was about to launch into, I was like, oh yeah, we're watching it as part of this podcast that I was part of. And then she said that and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. My, um, my aunt has a friend who's, who's a Wiccan. Um, or is that, or is it just so. part of the Wiccan community? I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, like they hang out and it's chill and it's whatever. And then my grandma's like, my grandma Cindy's little, Oh my gosh, wait, your grandma's name is Cindy too. Mm -hmm. I also have a grandma named Cindy. Everyone's grandma's (laughs) named Cindy. (laughs) Well, I just have a great aunt. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, with the, I don't know. Sorry, that was the whole. I'm so sorry. I think but, Aiden quoted Monty Python, and then I was like, "Oh, yeah, I, I quoted Monty Python." Quoted Monty. Oh no! Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I think this might be though uh, a signal that we are reaching the end of our wavelength. So Whoa. we might want to give some last thoughts and start wrapping up. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what what um, we thinking? Well, I mean, I I guess like the most concise way to talk about this movie or, or just the most concise thing I could say about this movie in general is that it seems like in general it did some good and um, had some sweet bits and despite how problematic several elements of the film are um, it did not entirely ruin the movie for me in the way that it did for most of the other movies that have had these problems. Mm-hmm. And that's because it does have redeeming elements. I, and that's, that's what I can say. <laughs> that's kind of a perfect way to put it. I am with you in that bandwagon. Chilling. Definitely made me upset in certain uh-huh. parts. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I think I might've uh, been a bit more angry this episode, if not for the fact that I woke up early this morning and for our 50th anniversary spectacular, uh, not 50th anniversary, but, you know, 50th episode spectacular, cool. I've been uh, catching up on all of the movies that y'all watched before I got on the podcast. And I watched Gone with the Wind this morning. And oh. mm-hmm. I can no longer have problems with this movie. I can. <laughs> I can. But uh, uh, I, I can no longer... Like a palate cleanser? Uh, if by it, It's like if you drank like something like wine and then as a palate cleanser you uh drank like a cucumber gatorade <laughs> which is one of the like, <gasps> yeah worst Whoa. things i've ever tasted uh and then you're wait like, that's a real thing yeah no i had it um oh what the heck it's like a limited run offer okay uh that's I had it at nasty. a birthday party uh mm. but yeah so gone with the wind is the cucumber gatorade to uh this movie's like kind of muddy wine you heard it here first folks tune in next week to hear what kind of drink i don't even know what movie we're watching next is yeah so uh that's a good segment hunter you can start looking for your oh heck uh uh, do you have any final thoughts for us hunter though um i don't know i liked it chill Chill, I, chill. I guess I didn't think super deep on anything. I just was watching it kind of, you know, casually. And I'm like, yeah, this movie like feels like it gets all the fundamentals yeah. right and is pretty strong and feels, it just feels nice. Yeah. Except for mm-hmm. when it's safe. Do you guys and, feel like it belongs on the list? I think that's a question yeah, I have. I think so. Yeah. Well, it's pretty good. I think, I think it does. I think Aiden brought up some good points about the cinematography and the way that shots are framed. That's really intriguing. Although, and I think if we took uh, some other movies off the front of the list, we could put on the Bicycle Thief, and we could also talk about it then. Just oh, saying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go go on, Anna. Uh, moving on. My I was Italian just real gonna real say that I think you know we've talked about this, but I think the redeeming elements and especially 
the almost revolutionary for its time portrayal of mental health, especially makes it, I, th- I think it does belong on the list as, I don't know, an important mm-hmm. film, an important story, even though there's a lot of problematic elements, which you have already heard about because mm-hmm. you've listened this far into the podcast. Okay. So yeah. Well, yes. And we can mm-hmm. see about that in a couple movies. Uh, and when we do our 50th anniversary, I think that's going to be a big part of it. We're going to go back through and uh, see what sort of things we would have liked to have watched um, uh, and what stuff we think probably isn't as important now as we thought it was uh, going into this whole project. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe instead of taking off One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to put on Bicycle Thieves, we could take off one of the two Star Wars movies that we have on the list <laughs> to put on so Bicycle rude. Thieves. Shazam! You're so rude. Gotcha. Wait, 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 wait. When we get through there, you guys will be like, oh, wait, no, this was the perfect choice. Oh. Well, I, I feel like we also just need a palate cleanser. I don't, I mean, like, sometimes it's just like, oh, I just need to watch Paddington 2 now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of excited oh, for the movies we have coming because. Yeah. They're uh, gonna be really sweet. Oh, baby, mm-hmm. we get to watch Eraserhead next. Although before that, <laughs> no, that's the next one. Yeah, yeah we gotta get so, to Eraserhead. Speaking of uh, palate cleansers, next week we will be covering David Lyncher's uh, Eraserhead. David Lyncher? Guys, that was so David Lyncher. Holy shit! <laughs> David Lyncher's Eraserhead. Um, <laughs> uh, Anna is going to be I'm a pile of mush. I'm probably gonna have a mental breakdown and I'm probably gonna be like texting you all and crying about it because it was so traumatic for me the first time I watched it. And I'm going to watch it again because I don't really remember. I just... <sighs> I'm so yeah. scared that I have to watch it like in well, this emotional state. So I think if you ever need a respite, you know, take breaks... Uh, turn off the volume every every few minutes if you need to. The sound design's pretty oppressive. Yeah, I remember that was part of uh, it. It was so loud. And Tim, please turn down your TV. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry that David Lynch hurt you. Uh, but we're gonna get through this together. I'm Hunter. Do you have a quote? Personally, to watch Eraserhead and Suspiria. Cool. Our next uh, two movies. Yes. Uh, as always, uh, you can. Uh, look for our social media, which will be hard to find because we never post anything. Uh, you can find no, us on Letterboxd, where, where every like three weeks or something, uh, Weave actually remembers the password to the Letterboxd account, Ooh. and we post links to the website and little it's pretty synopses incredible. of our reviews. So um, we do have a Patreon. It's not because we want money. It's because everyone has one, and we want to you know not feel left out. And but also because we are paying for a lot of these streaming services like Criterion True. Channel and well, we're True. You know. we're a socialist commune. We, we share our resources. To keep, like the domain up, actually. That's probably what? So yeah. so I mean, I mean, you can give us money. Nice to uh, help out with. No, just because we just did it to feel included doesn't mean you can't actually give us money because you know upkeep costs. Uh, but yeah, uh, join us next week for Racerhead. And uh, maybe uh, not half of our podcast will be broadcasting from the East Coast, ish. Cheers. We'll see. Boom. <laughs> Hunter, we have so okay, long so, enough. Well, okay, At yeah. Well, it's, it's okay. You guys, every you guys, episode. you guys just got to stop talking. Um, <laughs> of the other <laughs> uh, Hunter, go you ahead. Are, you know, you're having conversation. It's all good. Hey, Hunter, not... I have a thought. Why don't you oh, say quote when what? I'm done talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever yeah, it's all good. we're done talking, is there a mute button? Finish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is, but you know, it's fine. There's, there's a few of them. I could mute you all individually and then say it and be like, oh, I'm taking over. Well, it's really funny looking through all the quotes lists because. Um, most of them are from McMurphy, which means most like, you know, 80% of them are crude or have swearing in them in <laughs> whatever way, which is kind of funny. But I liked though they had a, an early one that was very profound in which you just said, mm, juicy fruit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't that the one of the first things that Chief says? I think it's the very first. It's his second line. Yeah. It's the first thing he says is thanks. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Heck. Yeah. And then he says, mm, juicy fruit. So I was like, yeah. This is a real sweet boy. And that reminded me that as I I alluded to in my Letterboxd review, he just had that moment in when they're playing basketball again where he actually like 
dunks the ball in the basket. And then he starts and I was, smiling and running. I, just, I yelled <laughs> and I was like, ah! okay, anyway, that's it. Yeah, that made, that made me happy. Very happy. That's my last thing that I was going to say. Okay, okay, bye. Okay, bye, friends. See you, See you next week, week for Paper English. For pain. Yay, I'm excited. Cool. Woohoo. Ah!